do you have expectations for this release or any of your releases? Do you set expectations? Yes and no. I think that we push as hard as we can push. Um, that being said, I think the metrics by which uh, we're expected to gauge success mm-hmm. of a release, um, whether it be you know Spotify reaction, um, playlisting, the algorithm, mm-hmm. etc., um, or you know whatever press support you get, which all sure. press is kind of antiquated at this point in a lot of yeah. ways. And I, so I think by those metrics, I'm just like, cool, we're trying to play that game, but if we don't get it, it's fine. Mm. I'm really focused on the micro right now and like my community um, and, and really focused on that solid foundation that I've built of mm-hmm. really loyal fans and then mm-hmm. working on inviting more people into that inner circle and mm. really catering to them. And I think that if I do that, the the pieces on on the periphery are going to fall into place as they're supposed to. This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features, annual fee unlimited uploads, and you keep 100% of your royalties. Check out districtkid.com. What's going on? Welcome to the New Music Business. I'm your host, Ari Herstand, author of How to Make It in the New Music Business, the book. Today, my guest is Verite. She's an incredible artist who has had over 350 million streams all independently. She has never signed to a label. Yes, she's had major label offers, and she discusses why she has stayed independent her entire career, completely independent. We also dig into NFTs. She has to date dropped three NFTs and made tens of thousands of dollars on those NFTs. She explains what NFTs are, how she got started with them, what she thinks the future of NFTs are, why they're important, and the challenges of them. We dig deep into it. If this is your first introduction into NFTs, Get ready, we go deep, but she also breaks it down. If you know nothing about them, hopefully you will not be lost. We start from the beginning. She is also the host of the excellent podcast, Anatomy of an Artist. I am a guest on that show as well. You can listen to our episode. As always, please like, subscribe, follow this show. However you're listening to it right now, please hit that follow button, that subscribe, that like button, and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Those really help. And if you're listening to this on YouTube, when you finish, leave us a comment. That's great. Super helpful. Find us on Instagram at Ari's Take on TikTok as well. You can find me at Ari Herstand on Instagram and Twitter. And make sure you're signed up to that email list, ariherstand.com. That is where we send all the most important information out regularly. Head over to ariestake.com, sign up on that email list. All right, let's kick into the show. Verite, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, this is this is like a Verite month for me. Uh, we were just in the clubhouse <laughs> room last night, and and thank you again for having me on your panel, your session. What do you call the clubhouse rooms? Is it panels? Discussions? I don't know. 
I have no idea. I just, <laughs> it's, I feel like voice social is such a good opportunity to like have long form conversations that you can't uh-huh. necessarily have on a Twitter or an Instagram. Yes. Um, we can just say it was a panel. I love that you just said voice social. I've never heard that term before. That is dope. Is this yeah. is this yours or have you heard this somewhere? Is this what no. they're calling it? I think that's touch. what they're calling it is, it. is voice social um, because obviously Clubhouse is the first platform to do it, but I'm sure others, mm-hmm. you know, Discord kind of launched something similar. Twitter, you know, tried launching spaces. So I yeah. think that this is the next chapter of us all being glued to our phones 24 7 and i think we're so over video live streaming conferencing like we've had we've had enough zoom the last year to last us a lifetime and i think we're all like i just discovered that you can and i'm going to do this right now that you can hide yourself view on Zoom, that was the thing that always bugged me out during every conversation. I'm just like, I ca- I keep seeing myself, and then I get all self conscious about how I'm looking. And I love that Clubhouse is uh, you don't have to worry about getting you know your yourself visually ready to do an interview or to just you can just pop in. It's very low pressure. It's very nice. Yeah, and like you said, I think we all have a bit of fatigue, like yeah. a fatigue of looking at our screens and having yes. to feel like we need to be presentable at all times uh, yes. to have like a camera in our faces. Yes, yes. And to be, it's like, I, I've started on calls now actually asking everyone to turn off their cameras because I also get distracted just through the when I'm looking at somebody and talking to them and they're glancing off over here and now I'm <laughs> distracted I'm like what are you looking at you know yeah. and it's just like if we were in person I could just see like I would glance over there too and there's nothing that they're looking at and they're just thinking and you move on the like those social interactions that we're so accustomed to in person that now we have there's different etiquette and different ways of responding to someone visually when you're through a screen, when all you get is a rectangle box that you have to kind of, um, you know, fig- just that that's all the information that you have when you're through this thing. So it's like I have a trouble thinking on video calls because I'm constantly monitoring like – are they engaged? Are they paying attention to me? Are they listening? How do mm-hmm. I look? Is my hair off? Like, what's going on? And uh, so I, I, I'm now I appreciate that we're moving into voice social. That's that's cool. It sounds real <laughs> official. Yeah. Um, anyway, so um, and yes, I was I was a guest on Anatomy of an Artist. Thank you again for having me. I love that we're kind of going both ways. And for everybody listening, uh, and I've said this in the introduction um, as well, but go listen to Anatomy of an Artist. Uh, Pause this episode and go over to Verite's uh, podcast, Anatomy of Ours. I've been living on that. I love this podcast that you have going on. You're doing such an incredible job. You're a really great interviewer. Has this come uh, – What? how does this come so naturally to you? I think that for a long time I was trying to find a, a, a social medium to kind of connect with people. And um, I think being an independent artist, part of the um, – the negative side and or struggle is kind of having that broader music network, especially for someone mm-hmm. like me who I'm, mm-hmm. I'm inherently antisocial and a lone wolf and I always have been. Uh, mm-hmm. So kind of hitting people up on Instagram and doing that sort of uh, cross-pollination was yes. never something that was natural. Um, and then the pandemic hit and I was kind of craving more long-form conversations with artists mm-hmm. Um 
and kind of exploring what it actually takes to build a life and career as an artist, but having those conversations from the perspective of where I've come from and and I have a very unique perspective um, and trying to figure out how people are getting it done um, Mm. on a really Mm -hmm. practical level. And it's been really interesting. We're like 20 episodes in and I've noticed that the stories have a very similar through line, but everybody Mm -hmm. has wildly different experiences. So I think it's a great resource for people um, who just want to hear stories and experiences Mm -hmm. of artists that they love. Yes, absolutely. And you just got a thousand new followers. I could tell just from this <laughs> this little moment here. I know everyone's running over to follow Anatomy of an Artist, which everyone should. Um, but And you also, what's cool is that because you're an artist, uh, you have such a unique perspective um, and an in with a lot of these others. You got the coveted Blau interview uh, that everyone was trying to get when he launched his $11 million NFT. Um, he went on your show and he turned down so many other shows. It was like you and, I don't know, the New York Times or something, like the only interviews he's really taking. But um, but that's because you guys have collaborated in the past and you've sung on his um, his his songs. And um, so it, it did it feel kind of like a natural, um, like bringing him on and just all these guests that you're bringing on does it does does it feel fairly low pressure and it's just kind of a natural evolution and you're just kind of hitting up your friends and collaborators yes and no i think it started that way but it's funny you know the collaboration that blau and i did we were very separate for it um it Mm. was one of those moments where he had heard a song that i had written and kind of took the acapella and produced it on his own so it was very kind of disjointed in that way Mm. um but i had actually read an article that he had written like last fall um and so that interview coincidentally had been scheduled for two months beforehand um when i was just starting to learn about you know cryptocurrency and and the utility of nfts and how that can benefit independent artists um and so i kind of was reaching out to him and other artists within that space Mm -hmm. before february where i feel like that big boom um happened and so i think some of that was luck and just being like a little bit early to that party sure Sure. Well, that's great, and we're gonna we're gonna touch on NFTs uh, in in a minute. Um, but I want to first start with your new single by now. Uh, it is so we're recording this on the eve of the, the eve. release. The I eve. know we're about uh, <laughs> to celebrate midnight. I, I'm trying to get myself hype. I'm, I need another three cups of coffee. Yeah, totally. Uh, well, first off, congratulations. Uh, it's a beautiful work. It's. I I know that it it comes from a um, uh, a place in time when uh, you were in it when you were at a at a uh, kind of a darker place and it's a heavy track um, but it's also a banger I mean that that you have a knack of doing that uh, you're really great at taking um, really intense emotions and and um, songs from from dark places and turning them into just pop bangers that you can just party to which is amazing and 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 so but but this track especially i feel like this is one that borders it's it's not a straight up it's you can bump it and you can you can bump with it but you can also meditate to it and it has that meditative feel um talk about the process of 
uh, this song, the production, it it sounds a bit different uh, production-wise than your your most recent EP that you released in October. I'm curious, um, kind of the the way that the approach of this of this song. Yeah, I think the EP that I released last October was called New Limbs, and mm-hmm. and it was kind of this exploration of of wanting to feel. Um, uninhibited and and like I as an artist I could take a moment to experiment um and that EP had a lot of production from me um and kind of experimenting with cool what do I want to do next and mm-hmm. it opened the door for me to kind of do what I'm doing now which is I I'm for maybe even the rest of this year I want to release singles mm-hmm. um and I want to be able to dip my toe in different sounds and experiments and and not feel like I'm writing and confined to one world or one body of work Mm -hmm. and by now is a song i wrote actually completely alone on piano in january 2020 and uh it was you know stream of consciousness it really just flowed out and then at the Mm -hmm. end of the day i had a song and that song is the song that you hear Mm -hmm. today basically um with a few uh tweaks to a second verse and so that stripped back version is still going to come out at some point cool but it was sitting in a folder and one day, you know, in, in the, uh, pandemic publishing world, you know, someone reached out and they're like, would you guys like to collaborate? And we kind of sent them a working list of songs that existed, but I didn't know what I was doing with yet. And mm-hmm. I sent the stems over to a producer named Tim Randolph and he mm-hmm. just sped it up 9 BPM, completely flipped the production. Um, wow cut it up in all of these really unique ways and it was this moment of like letting go but Mm -hmm. i heard it and i was like okay cool this is the direction um Mm. and so we took those stems back and me and longtime collaborator aaron forbes kind of tweaked the sounds to bring them a little bit closer back into the verite world Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. also i just kind of wanted to let it live in the essence that it had been changed to because it's i think such a unique and uh different moment for me i wanted to embrace it and actually go there gotcha cool well well i mean great work on it and i love uh kind of the evolution of your sound and production over the years uh i mean you said you want to be releasing singles that's something that has really always stood out to me from you just from a, a business standpoint and and a curiosity standpoint you've had you have 37 i counted you have 37 <laughs> releases under your belt now yeah. most of those are singles you know you got a, a few albums in there a couple eps that kind of thing but like 37 releases personally for me releasing music is really fucking hard and mm-hmm. emotional and uh, I just released my new album and had a few singles leading up to it. And I'm like, whew, I don't want to do that again for a couple of years. Like, <laughs> it's so intense. And congratulations so, on the new record, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so I'm curious, what are you feeling right now? And how do you feel in advance of releases and then after releases? What is, what's going through you right now? So... I'm really burnt out. I am. Mm. I'm one of those people who uh, goes and goes and goes until like I really have nothing left. And mm. and I feel like a lot of this uh, this year and last year has been that. Um, 
has been this sense of like feeling this need to push forward amidst, you know, crisis and, yeah. and chaos um, of so many changes. Um, and I think that that's done me really good because I think in a lot of that, there wasn't a lot of time for me to think and overanalyze. I've really mm. uh, pivoted to go with my gut, which was the EP I released last year and choosing by now as this next single and even how mm-hmm. we decided to roll it out. Um, so I feel like I'm kind of... Um, floating a little bit and Hmm. what feels right to do i'm not overthinking it and i'm just doing um and so but i'm also really tired and so there's this sense of uh i I think a great relief coming with Mm -hmm. the release of this song like i can maybe take a step back for a week or two Mm. and try to celebrate all of the work that I've done, celebrate the release, um, get some rest and perspective so Mm. that I can come back to um, the drawing board, both creatively. I have a lot of half written ideas that I just Mm -hmm. need to sit down and finish. Mm -hmm. Um, And on the business side, you know, kind of rethinking what I'm doing, how I'm doing it, what worked, what didn't work, et cetera. Um, so I think this this release is going to feel like a bit of an exhale, like I mm. can, you know, take a really long nap on a Tuesday kind of vibe. <laughs> <laughs> so for you, it's a ramp up to release day, an exhale, and then relaxation? Yeah, and, and I mean, the ramp up to release day is essentially, you know, getting all of the pieces for, you know, the two weeks after release day all set up. Um, you know, and kind of having that entire plan, um, ready to go, the gears Mm -hmm. kind of in place. Mm -hmm. Um, and then they're all automated. And so all I'll really have to do is, is slot things in here or there, um, et cetera. But I think that, you know, I'm not really going to do a lot of strategic and creative work, um, after tomorrow for, you know, maybe a week or two. Do you have expectations for this release or any of your releases? Do you set expectations? Yes and no. I think that we push as hard as we can push. Um, That being said, I think the metrics by which uh, we're expected to gauge success Mm -hmm. of a release, um, whether it be, you know, Spotify, reaction, um, playlisting, the algorithm, Mm -hmm. et cetera, um, or, you know, whatever press support you get which all press is kind of antiquated at this point in a lot of ways and i so i think by those metrics i'm just like cool we're trying to play that game but if we don't get it it's fine Mm. i'm really focused on the micro right now and like my community um and and really focused on that solid foundation that i've built of Mm -hmm. really loyal fans and then Mm -hmm. working on inviting more people into that inner circle and Mm. really catering to them and I think that if I do that, the the pieces on on the periphery are going to fall into place as they're supposed to. I love that you're focusing on the micro. Um, I think you're absolutely right with the metrics that we as an industry and a community have become obsessed with because we have been taught that that is what we're supposed to care about, when in reality, we should not be caring about it. That is a very quick way to destroy your mental and emotional health, is Mm -hmm. if you focus (laughs) too intensely on the metrics and the numbers. Um, But I I love what you did a couple years back um, with, uh, I I think it was for your New Skin album, where you you kind of did one-on-one interviews with fans, where they, like, 
talk to you about how the record was resonating with them. And I thought, man, that's so brilliant because the most meaningful thing about releasing music is to know that it affects someone in a deep, meaningful way. And it's not about if you crack an algorithm or get anointed by a Spotify playlist god or something like that. It's are you impacting someone's life in a meaningful way and you got to get that feedback. Talk about that process of well, why did you do that in the first place? That was a really cool thing that you did. And and when it just comes to when you release music, what your actually what your goals are in that in that realm. So for the one-on-one fan interviews, I feel like with every release, I'm really conscious of um what am I doing for the people who are listening? And mm. what am I doing for my fans? Because I wouldn't have a career without them and I wouldn't mm-hmm. be able to consistently release music without that support. And mm-hmm. so I'm really just conscious of what am I giving back? Because I feel like so much of releasing music is is you're making asks of people. You're mm-hmm. saying, hey, community, I need your support in this. Can you pre-save? Can you show up to this thing? Can you buy tickets to my tour? <laughs> right? And so a lot of times, obviously, I'm, I'm feeding fans um, music and my heart and, and all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a lot of one way kind of fan support. Um, and so I just try to really give back and, and a lot of that is one-on-one. And mm-hmm. so those interviews were an opportunity, yeah, for me to get feedback, but also to include them in the process. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's the future of how, how music is going to, um, it's the future of ecosystems between artists and their fans is one-on-one interactions where fans can invest in the artists that they love, but artists also will have mechanisms to invest back into their fans mm-hmm. um, that, that go beyond the actual creation of music. And I think that's really important. Yes, absolutely. And and that is a very, very natural uh, progression into uh, NFTs and why I, I really want to get your take on how you view NFTs um, and and the investment that you just talked about of, of fan engagement and investment in the artist. I mean, your most recent, um, I mean, you posted this, I'm going to read it, uh, for, for By Now. You mm-hmm. posted this on your website. It's no longer there, but it says, to ring in my new single By Now, we're going to try something new. I will be releasing a one-of-one NFT on Zora on April 6th. Not only are you bidding on By Now, the collectible, you are also bidding on a percentage of master ownership in perpetuity. I've spent the entirety of my career as an independent artist. Through that process, I've maintained control of my master recordings and understand the real and potential value in this ownership. This is a very unique model. This is, I I mean, I don't know in the history when this has ever been done before in the history of the music industry where artists are offering up actual master ownership in their records and offering fans to buy into them um, and invest in them in a real way. Talk about this a little bit. So I know it's been done in the past, but never before with an NFT. And and I really wanted to do this auction via NFT because I really believe in the future potential of that technology and the utility of that technology to streamline royalty payments. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and really update the very antiquated systems that, you know, the music industry operates within uh, today. Mm -hmm. And so basically it's really rare that an artist gets to set their own valuation for what they believe something is worth. And Mm -hmm. so as an independent artist, you know, people ask me like a surprising amount of time uh, times, um, like, what would you sell your masters for? Yeah. Right. And, and I'm somebody who I'm not the biggest artist in the world, but you know, I have 350 million plus streams at this Mm -hmm. point on masters that I own all of. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I know the value of that. I think that narrative that streaming doesn't pay, um, is, is oftentimes, um, not completely, uh, true. Just yes. because I've been um, on the other end of that with ownership of those recordings. Yes. And so I set my own valuation um, mm-hmm. as an experiment. And my valuation mm-hmm. is I'll sell this master in perpetuity for a million dollars. And um, it's like that's the number that came to mind where I feel like, cool, if, if I did that, I would sleep well and feel mm. as though my work was being properly valued. Um, and so we kind of set this experiment, uh, with this NFT up on that valuation. And so a bit of a million dollars meant a hundred percent artist share, um, a bit of $500,000 would equal 50% of artist share and, and so on, you know, but based on that sliding scale. So I, uh, very cool. And I want to get into more of the philosophy behind that and the specifics in a second. Let's step back for, for a moment. Um, this is the first time you're the first guest that we've had on the show discussing NFTs. Uh, uh, uh-huh. I just released a report on Ari's take uh, explaining NFTs, but you have the honor and the benefit or the burden <laughs> to be the person oh, no. to explain NFTs to the new music business audience. Uh, and I loved how you asked Blau to explain NFTs like you're a five-year-old. So I'm going to ask you the same thing. Please break down NFTs like I am a five-year-old and just go to the beginning and just break it down like we don't know anything about anything. What are NFTs? I'm probably going to utilize some of Blau's verbiage. Um, Go for it. In their simplest form, the NFT is a box um, and it is essentially a line of code that represents a unique digital asset on the blockchain. Right. And so in its simplest form, it's that. And inside of that box, it can be a song. It can be a video. It can be a contract. It can you can put anything in that box. But, Mm -hmm. you know, essentially an NFT is the vehicle and the utility um, that represents that unique asset. Um, And so when we look at it in terms of how that can be used in the music industry, you know, I think that with streaming and digital media, all um, music is essentially available for free, mm-hmm. right? And I think mm-hmm. that's inherently a good thing. Um, I don't think that people should have financial barriers in order to access art. Mm-hmm. That being said, what that's done is really devalued music, and it's mm. devalued the digital asset of the MP3. Um, and that value is never going to come back in the same way that it used to exist. Sure. Um, and so regardless of that, it's Spotify is too easy to use. It's too convenient. And so we need different mechanisms by which we value music. And so right now, everything is available for free. 
Um, and what NFTs offer in the music industry is something that's kind of like an investable layer for mm. people who are trying to reinvigorate value into digital assets and owning digital assets. Um, and so, for instance, my first NFT was an audiovisual clip of the first song I ever released, Strange Enough. Mm. And essentially, it's a one of one. So it's the only one I will ever mint. And then the NFT is a certificate where it essentially says, I uploaded this, I own this, and I am transferring ownership of this asset to my friend Cooper, who is mm -hmm. the one who bought it. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's what the real meaningful aspect is that transfer of ownership that is recorded on the blockchain and can be traced back to me. So it's a certificate of authentication, essentially. Uh, so to be clear... You're de you didn't transfer the ownership of the master, the the rights of that song. You just created this visual, audiovisual work. So it's a three-some-minute video with the song below it um, or image with the song below it. And uh, you you called it – you minted it. That's the term where where you turn it from this, this movie file into what does minting mean? Write down what minting means. Minting is essentially putting it on the blockchain, oh, right? Okay. So you're you're entering it into the blockchain, and once it's mm -hmm. on the blockchain, it can never be removed, right? And so it's essentially that's the stamp of authentication. Mm -hmm. um, and and what's like, the blockchain? That's that I can't even <laughs> answer. Like the I mean the blockchain is it's 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 a lot of lines of code. That essentially mm -hmm. just traces transactions. And and don't so quote me on that. That is much deeper than that. Sure. Yeah. 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 And 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 just I mean, you know, I've looked into this a little bit, and I I got into the the Bitcoin craze a few years back, and I learned all about the Bitcoin blockchain, and I know that the Bitcoin blockchain is different from the Ethereum blockchain, which. And at most NFTs, if not all of the, well, most NFTs right now are on the Ethereum blockchain. But basically, it's just like, yeah, a line of code. It's a secure network line of code. Um, Ethereum blockchain, of course, also hosts the Ether currency, which is used to purchase things and um, also used for uh, a lot of NFT purchases these days. So you mint this this token, this NFT uh, that means this item goes onto the blockchain, but really it's like, I like that you call it certificate of authentic uh, authentication. It's like, you know, people I think struggle with, um, why someone would want to own this digital piece of art when it's ubiquitous, it's everywhere, it's, it's digital, but it's kind of like, uh, there's only you can verify that there's only one. It's like we have verification in in certificates of authentication for a lot of things for for Yeezys for the Yeezy shoes. You have to get that yeah. verified and authenticated to actually resell it and say, hey, this is actually an authentic Yeezy. Or paintings, you know, when like the David Hockney painting sold for eighty million dollars at auction, it had to actually be verified. Like this is an authentic Hockney. There's a because I have a, that exact print up on my wall. I didn't pay eighty million dollars for that. I paid twenty dollars for that. But like, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, and so like it, it, this is authentically certified. It's a collectible, essentially, right? Well, yeah, and I think that in a society where we have, you know really systematically conditioned 
consumers not to value digital assets, Mm -hmm. this becomes a renaissance and will require a reconditioning of people to find uh, value in ownership of digital assets as we continue to pivot to really live most of our lives online in the metaverse, uh, Mm. right? Clubhouse, metaverse, fucking Mm -hmm. Twitter, metaverse, uh, you know? And so I think that recognizing that you know, there is a future where ownership of digital assets, you know, right now a lot of it is speculative, but there's also, you know, potential for real world assets to be baked into these smart contracts as this mm-hmm. technology becomes developed, um, where a lot of this stuff can become automated um, on the blockchain. So, for instance, right now, for the auction that I did with Buy Now, mm-hmm. those, you know, essentially the winning bid was for 11 ETH, uh, which equals approximately uh, $23,000 at the time of uh, sale, Mm. which represents 2.3% master ownership in perpetuity of buy now. And, um, you know, we have to take those conversations off chain and we're going to send him a contract and add him to our royalty thing. But eventually... All of this is going to be automated, ideally, within the blockchain. And so it's going to be Mm -hmm. entered. And then as money flows in, it'll get automatically paid out to everyone who's supposed to get paid out. Mm. Uh, We're just not there yet, uh, both in where the technology is and also uh, certain regulatory laws uh, with the SEC. Real quick, I want to let you know about Two Lost. Two Lost is a new distribution company to the space. And let me tell you, I am very impressed with them. I, I got a full deep dive demo with the founder. And yeah, they're very innovative. And when you come into the distribution space at this stage with how crowded it is, you better be innovative. And they are. Yes, they will get your music out to Spotify, Apple Music, all the places, plus 450 other outlets around the world. They do not take a commission. This is why 300,000 artists and labels have already used them. They've already distributed 7 million songs. They offer payment splitting, and they don't charge your collaborators for this service, for the payment splitting. They will just pay your collaborators directly for free. They have publishing administration with BMG, so you know it's legit. A lot of distributors have have fallen into trouble with using some other uh, less than legit pub admin services. Well, two losses partnered with BMG. You know it's legit. They offer instant royalty advances. Uh, this is something that's very cool. And if you have historical streaming data and you need just a bulk payment up front, they can see how much your music has earned in the past. I'm like, all right, we think we know what you're going to earn in the next three years. Here's a check for a hundred grand or whatever it will be. And you can just click a button and you get that distributed and um, into your account immediately. They do lyrics and credits distribution for free. They have a very innovative analytics platform where, yes, you will see real-time analytics for Spotify, Apple Music, but also Pandora, Deezer, SoundCloud, and Peloton. They're the only ones that do Peloton. Uh, They also have a service where you can search the internet wherever your music is being used And it will just show you a chart of 
everywhere, every TikTok video, everywhere, every YouTube video, everywhere your music is possibly being used. I've never seen this before. That was very cool. They'll register you with SoundExchange, and they have a fraud prevention tool, and they're doing fraud prevention. So if you're worried about your music, you know, getting a bot attack or something like that and getting ripped down, which we've seen is a big issue. Uh, they have fraud prevention tools that are better than most other distributors that I have seen. Check out Two Lost. You can just go to twolost.com. Use the promo code Ari's Take for three months free and try them out. Let them know what you think. Sure. And, and that is been the promise of blockchain for many many years is Mm -hmm. is clarity with metadata i mean you know the uh mlc the mechanical licensing collective just launched in the states and and for the uninitiated this is the collective that was set up uh by the government saying uh that all mechanical royalties from here on out need to be paid from the DSPs directly to the MLC. No longer do they have to figure out the publishers to pay or any of that. All mechanical royalties get paid to the MLC from from U.S. mechanical royalties. And then the MLC's job is to figure out who to pay because that's why Spotify was getting sued, Apple was getting sued. All of them were getting sued because they they couldn't figure out who to pay because that metadata wasn't clear because Mm -hmm. you would – distribute a song like for instance you distributed a cover of 1975 song and you sent it now most dsps many dsps don't require uh the distributor to say who wrote the song so like theoretically your distributor could have just sent the song saying that you own all the master ownership they're like okay good enough for us and then they could be like well who do we pay the mechanicals to who wrote this song and if your distributor never told them that it was written by maddie healy at all uh then they probably wouldn't know who to pay um and so it's like that's a problem, and that's why there's over $400 million of unclaimed money in the MLC right now because they just don't know who to pay. Theoretically, the blockchain uh, mm. can clear that up by saying every digital asset, every song can say can have the full breakdown of all the personnel, every songwriter, all the ownership, all the players, everyone, Right. Yeah, and I think that, you know, this is an idealistic future, but I also think it's it's very attainable and I think that it's really exciting to be at something in in this in its early stages because yeah. it means that these early experiments that that I'm doing can actually have an impact of of where this uh this um sorry, Jesus. Um <laughs> it can actually have an impact on the future of NFTs and how they're utilized in the music industry. And so that for me is really exciting to kind of be at the beginning um, and be able to kind of have a lot of freedom in in what I'm doing. And Mm. a lot of that is due to the fact that I own everything. and right now, NFTs are really a master recording play um, mm-hmm. in in how they're kind of set up. And so I really have the freedom to try things and mm. see what works. And yes. some of it will work and some of it will not work. And, yes. you know, that to me is is why I'm so involved. So let's talk about ownership for a second because you um, have been an independent artist for your entire career. Uh, you own 100% of all your masters, um, and you have over 350 million streams, and you found some really great success independently without a record label, let alone a major record label. 
But I also, I was listening to your interview with RAC, um, and I have to quote you back to you on on <laughs> something that you said when he was talking about how he was signed uh, to Interscope for a minute, and then he got off of that. And, and you said that initial injection of confidence and legitimacy is something that I constantly feel as though I lack. Mm. And to me, that gave me a lot of pause, because I'm like... God damn it, if Verite with 350 <laughs> million streams touring the country pre-pandemic, headlining clubs, like I to me, you are the epitome of success. And but you still at your position still feel like you are lacking legitimacy. Speak to that. Oh yeah. Well, it's funny because similar to you, I, I talk to a lot of artists who are building their careers. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I feel like the conclusion on all of this that I've come to is that that feeling of having quote unquote made it um, mm-hmm. and that feeling of <laughs> legitimacy is actually just very elusive. And it's yes. I, I think that regardless of what status platform, you know, a billion streams, et cetera. I, you know, that's an internal condition that isn't Mm -hmm. going to be really um, fixed by external achievements. And so I've kind of learned to love the process. Um, I love the climb. I love hustling. Mm -hmm. I love creative problem solving when um, obstacles and walls pop up. Um, And I think that that's the reason I've been able to kind of be so resilient and sustain and grow kind of despite always feeling like the redheaded stepchild of (laughs) the music industry. You know what I mean? (laughs) Totally. And I, and I say that I'm also, you know, when I'm not blonde, a redheaded stepchild, Um, (laughs) you know, no, but I always feel like I've existed on the periphery and, there's a lot of good in that, and it's benefited mm. me in a lot of ways. I, I have a lot of freedom and flexibility and autonomy. I get to make the music that I want to make, release it how I want to release it. Mm-hmm. I get to experiment uh, with new technologies, um, et cetera. And so I think that that's like an internal practice of really trying to um, figure out what's the thing that's going to make me feel whole and slowly mm. but surely recognizing it is nothing external, right? That's mm. a completely internal um job but -hmm. it's been a really interesting process but yeah i feel like that a lot of the time and i have to remind myself it's not really true yeah totally and if you need that reminder just call me up and i'll remind you of that (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um so is was this a conscious decision in your career were you ever approached by labels did you ever think man this is the point where we're supposed to go shopping or Mm. was this conscious always that you wanted to stay independent i like most other people was uh convinced i was going to get discovered on the subway one day and (laughs) sign a major label deal and all of a sudden i will have made it Mm -hmm. um and so in the beginning that was definitely the intent of you know building the project getting signed i was about to sign to atlantic Mm. Um, right before I released my second EP, kind of off of the success of that first EP. Mm-hmm. And thank God that deal fell through um, like the day before we signed because wow. A&R had a crisis of confidence. 
Um, Oh my gosh. And I think the quote was, I don't know where to take her project. And I think that was like the nail in the coffin. I was just like, but I'm the one who's going to take the project somewhere. I don't don't really need you for that. Um, But I think that was the biggest um, like blessing in disguise moment um, because I had the second EP ready to go. I just had no money because I had spent all of my money on that first EP. I was waiting tables at Applebee's on 42nd Street at that point. And it was at like a turning point, you know, mm-hmm. where we could have gone and re-shopped the EP and probably signed a deal. Sure. Um, at that point, we were talking to every major label, um, every publisher, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, I didn't want to be someone's second choice. Yep. And so I went back and I asked my manager for a budget and I hustled and I went and I made like 12 grand, I think in like three months. I like worked, I was working like 70, 80 hour weeks. I, it was very unsustainable. 12 grand waiting tables? Waiting tables, yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, That's yeah. a hustle. <laughs> that is yeah, no easy job. I, I was not fucking around. Um, there was like weeks where I wouldn't see sunlight because I would go to work at 6 a.m. Because I worked the breakfast shift and then I would leave work at like midnight and then I would go home. And get back up for the 6 a.m. shift because uh. um, the earlier you got there, you got to choose your section. So I always oh signed God. up for the early shift. But like that was my life. But that being said, it like I kind of injected all that early capital into my project and gave myself enough time to be independent where I didn't know streaming money was co- going to come for me. Um right. And so, but all of that operates on, you know, six months to a year delay. Mm -hmm. And so one day, you know, from TuneCore, I got, you know, a few tens of thousands of dollars. Just, (laughs) right? Just, it literally just showed up. A few tens of thousands of dollars. (laughs) I thought you were going to say a few bucks. A few tens of thousands of dollars. No, but it was. You know, it was the most amount of money that I had ever seen in my life. Yeah. Um, Oh, my God. And there was a sense of like, oh, I can live. Yeah. Uh, Like, oh. I can quit Applebee's. (laughs) I didn't quit. I I got dragged out. Um, I literally had my manager and my mother playing both ends, being like, Kelsey, please quit. And I was just like, just one more month. Just one wow. more month. Yeah. Um, I loved waiting tables. Um, oh, wow. But it's, okay. I, I just love the hustle of it. Like, I love sure. that feeling. I think it's why, you know, similar to why I love the business side of being an artist. It's like, yes. I love pushing myself um, mm. to do more, which is, mm. you know, a good thing and maybe a sickness. Yes. <laughs> I have that sickness as well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, that's great. And, and, it makes a lot of sense because you have this entrepreneurial spirit, you have this drive, you have the grit. Uh, why you and how you found so much success independently without the machine pushing this. But that being said, um, there is something to say that a lot of the reason uh, for the streaming success is playlists or was playlist, we should yes, say. Yes, absolutely. Now, uh, when you got those a few tens of thousands of dollars in your bank account, it wasn't because... Now, we know that tens of thousands of dollars on Spotify equals millions of streams. Those millions of streams weren't coming from millions of fans that you had necessarily, right? No. No, I mean, at that point, it was all... Um 
you know, in the beginning, we weren't even focused on Spotify, right? Spotify mm-hmm. was an afterthought. We knew the music was on there. Uh, but, you know, I started working with my management and, and they were really green as well, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. we kind of all had this learning process together. And so Spotify was this new thing yeah. um, that, you know, we we weren't really putting a lot of emphasis on. Our focus was hype machine and blocks. Right. Um, and so this yeah, you idea, blew up on blogs initially in 2014, right? Yeah, you were and like that number was the, one on Hype Machine. Yeah, I think yeah. I think like my first five releases were number one on Hype Machine. So wow. like you, as you know, like we put all of our eggs mm-hmm. into that basket, and Spotify was an afterthought. And mm-hmm. so we we weren't even expecting that. Um, but that being said, in the beginning days of you know kind of the 2014 15 Spotify, like. Mm-hmm the gates were open. Mm. Like there was a lot of access for artists to interface one-on-one with the Spotify team. You know, I was number one on new music Friday, Mm. like multiple times uh, during that period of time. And so I was really lucky to kind of um, be ushered in on the early side of, you know, that and and what we've yeah. seen obviously and i feel like we talked about this is slowly but surely you know the davids become the goliaths and mm-hmm. the gates come up and i think mm-hmm. that from my perspective and this kind of pivots us even back to nfts yeah it's our job as you know both artists and entrepreneurs to see those gates coming up recognize th- that like we're not really gonna change the system of spotify mm-hmm. and to pivot and be like cool, well, what's next? Because there's Mm. always something that's next. And there's always an opportunity that exists kind of beyond the gates that seem too tall to jump over. Um, And so that's kind of how I, the philosophy I try and keep around my project is like, Mm. I try and see the gates coming up when I'm like a mile out and then pivot, you know, while I can still see, uh, I guess, a way around them. Brilliant. Because you you cannot become complacent innovate or die you know it's it's literally kill or be killed (laughs) yes i i that's the thing is had you just sat back and said wow uh spotify will always pay my bills because i release music and it always gets playlisted and i'm always making a few tens of thousands of dollars from from spotify then uh you uh, essentially well eventually would it would have dried up. I mean, it always does. Mm-hmm. That's just that's just the nature of of um, trends and the nature of business and just the nature of the industry as a whole. And you know, I, I'm curious your thoughts because I now now we're about to get really nitty gritty and really specific mm-hmm. about something. Um, and but this is real, and we all struggle with this, and we all battle with this, and 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 this is something that rarely gets discussed. So um your uh or i should say really gets discussed publicly this, these are internal conversations that i'm sure you've mm-hmm. had with with Vanessa your manager and and um your confidants so your new skin album 2019 uh got playlisted had um you know st- like streaming success um your your ep your new limbs ep from october i was digging on chart metric uh this morning and noticed that that uh, didn't have the playlisting of uh, like I don't know if there it's on any official Spotify editorial playlist none mm-hmm. right no so 
when it comes to something like that, I mean, obviously we have no control of what the editors at Spotify do. I mean, it's like, you know, I would be lying if I said I, I wasn't devastated when none of my songs got included on an official editorial playlist. Like this is like my blood, sweat and tears and my, my relationship of 11 years that went into these songs that I released. And, and yes, I'd received tons and tons of meaningful recognition and comments from my fans, from people saying that it was really resonating with them. But like, yeah, I was devastated that, that I'm not going to get paid for these songs because some one dude at Spotify didn't decide to put it on a playlist. Um, I love that you're pivoting into um, this other realm and you're focusing more on the micro, but what were the conversations around that when you released that EP where you're like, okay, well, we're going to get Spotify editorial, and then it didn't come? Was there like an oh shit moment where it was like, nah, I mean, whatever, we're just moving forward, and and that's just how it is? I think at all points you need to have, you know, five strategies for every release, <laughs> Right. And so at the end of the day, like your your main strategy can't be cool. I need Spotify editorial playlists as, you know, the main metric for this, because mm-hmm. like you said, it's out of your hands. Yes. And and at some point, right, you either need a, a physical person to put it there or yep. the song needs to tick the algorithm in a way <laughs> where it's going to kind of satiate what that needs and, and it's going to push it up. Uh, mm-hmm. But that's something that's like wholly out of my control. And yeah. so I, you know, Vanessa and I obviously have our contacts and strategy. Uh, you know, that EP also came out mid-pandemic, you know, mm-hmm. kind of entering into the winter. And so I think that there wasn't even really a sense of disappointment. Mm-hmm. There was a sense that, like, we spent a year pushing and creating works um, like when I look at the last year and a half of like how I've grown my project, I, I see tremendous like progress and also like we've managed to elevate, we've managed yes. to push forward. Uh, we've managed to garner much more awareness of the project. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still making good money, right? Mm-hmm. I'm still, mm-hmm. right. But it, you know, I'm the revenue silos are different. Yes. And, and so I think that at the end of the day, sitting and kind of lamenting of, you know, not getting Spotify support or not getting X support is a waste of time, right? Yes. From my perspective. And so, and, and which honestly detracts from the really great work that I've, I'm now doing in a completely different space. Mm-hmm. Um, and so from my perspective, it's like, I'm cool where the chips fall, um, mm. So long as Vanessa and I can look ourselves in the mirror and say, did we do everything that we could to make this a success? Yes. Yes. And then it's our job as artists to be really resilient and quickly pivot and continue to push forward, Um, Mm. which is essentially what I'm doing now. And, you know, I released that EP in October and by November I was, you know, fully immersed in NFTs. Um, and and it, nothing to scoff at. I mean, in the last couple months, you've made around $35,000, I believe, if I'm understanding NFTs correctly, on your NFTs. Um, and it's like to get to make $35,000 on streams, that's millions and millions and millions and millions of streams. Um, so it, I, I think it was really smart. And I love 
that perspective is very refreshing. Thank you for that because I think, hmm. you know, that resonated with me and I think it's going to resonate with every musician listening to this knowing that you just have to move forward and I love the five strategies for every release that you need to have and yeah. that you just kind of keep moving forward and I I think the takeaway for me is uh, that you got to focus on the micro (laughs) and I love that and I'm going to keep coming back to that. Um, So um, to finish up, I mean, what is next for you this year as an artist, but also I'm really curious where your focus is moving within the NFT space and just within um, the music space in general? So... This year, like I said before, I I really want to focus on making singles and Mm -hmm. just putting out music without a lot of thought of how it fits into the broader context of um, like an album, um, et cetera. I'm like back to being a fully 100 percent free agent, which is exciting. um, In what respect? I like um, we're distributing on TuneCore, right? You know, we're kind of like really back. Yeah. Yes. And I mean, not necessarily left, left, but I think that, you know, we're in this interim period where Mm -hmm. I don't want any percentage of my master recording license to be caught up because I really want to focus on what I can do um, with NFTs and, you know, find new and innovative ways to get investment. Um, And so that's kind of what I'm exploring in that sense. Um, And then in the NFT space, I'm, I'm really excited about generative art, um, mm-hmm. programmable music, where you can essentially program um, a song to play a different set of stems dependent on the weather or dependent on external factors and what? provide a really immersive experience for people. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> That's blowing my mind. I've never heard of this before. Uh, touch on that just a little bit more. <laughs> Yeah, I it, it, there's um there are a few companies that are doing it um but Async is a company that right now they're primarily focused on art um but I you know Jay Paul did a a, a collaboration with uh an AI company called Bronze which plays one of his songs on an infinite loop and the AI determines what stems are getting triggered in each loop of the song. Wow. Um and so I think that that really interests me in in providing fans a really dynamic listening experience. Mm. Um, I definitely am looking forward to doing a lot of audiovisual collaborations um, for future works, and I'm minting. I'm going to mint my entire back catalog uh, as oh, wow. a collection, cool. right? Because like, why wouldn't I? Right. I, I have all of the music. I'm going to make a lot of that artwork, and mm-hmm. you know, I really again, I want to provide. Um, for people who find value in collecting and digital ownership, mm. um, a vehicle for them to kind of participate in that with my project. So I have to ask, um, I yeah. got a little, I got a few comments about this when I wrote my article and I, and I had to, uh, and I wrote a follow up and I'm looking into this more. I saw you got a little bit of pushback on this on Twitter when you announced your NFTs. There's a serious environmental impact when it comes to NFTs. How do you how do you um take that into account if you do it all and how do you reckon with that i think that environmental issues is like an extremely wicked problem meaning yes. that like 
there is no singular solution because the definition of the problem is so complex Mm -hmm. and any solution you present has unintended consequences. Um, And so from my perspective, when I look at like new and emerging technologies and their impact on the environment, I I look at it as like computers in the 80s. They're big. They take up too much energy. Mm -hmm. um, And now, but, but they have the potential to completely innovate and replace legacy systems that take up way more energy and way more of a footprint. And so when I personally look at environmental issues, Mm -hmm. I I will always focus on let's close legacy systems, fossil fuels, like these different um, entities that are kind of old school in favor of let's develop and change and, and, um, edit these emerging technologies to be better for the environment, which Ethereum blockchain, they're already planning on, on moving from proof of, uh, work. proof of work to proof of stake, Yes, right? Which takes up consider- considerably less energy. But also mm-hmm. I've made it a point. I, I think that like Twitter and a lot of social media is not um, practical uh, for having like long form complex conversations and so i think that critique is really valid and Mm -hmm. and i want to have those conversations and so i really direct people to my discord where Mm -hmm. we have an ongoing conversation about all of this where we can talk with much more nuance and and we've had a lot of really great debates with people Mm -hmm. who have a lot of different opinions um where we all recognize that we have the same end goal but we all have different opinions on how we should get there um and I think that that's important. Um, but also, if you choose to not participate with NFTs because it's not something you can rally behind because of your opinion on um, what they're doing to the environment, mm-hmm. you also just don't have to participate. Sure. Right. And I think that's sure. really important to recognize that, like, mm-hmm. we all have freedom of choice and we all make our own decisions uh, for what we believe is the greater good. Hundred percent, and and that's a really, um, really great perspective, and I appreciate that. And and it is very nuanced. And I mean, you know, uh, one of you know the 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 environmental activist icon and and a hero of mine, Greta Thunberg. You know, she uh, doesn't take airplanes because of the environmental impact. Now we all care about the environment, but none of us are boycotting airplanes you know she takes a, a a boat to to cross the the atlantic when she needs to come for speaking um engagements here uh and so there are degrees and scales and i think you made a really great analogy with the computers in the 80s and how bulky and crazy and energy and efficient those were and how now you can look at an iphone that has more computing power and takes up dramatically less energy than the computer the first computers ever um and right i think we are going to get there and i think uh but by having these conversations it puts the pressure on the people who are the ones that need to make that happen to work a little bit quicker and 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 shift the focus a bit i know that ethereum blockchain has been saying for two years that they're going to move to proof of stake they haven't uh, but I think now that there's so much pressure coming from the artist community, now that NFTs have exploded and they're such a large component of the Ethereum blockchain, I hope that they will they will take the environmental impact seriously, as all blockchains hopefully will do that as well, and then we can just become more green across the board. So that's a really great perspective. Um, 
I have one final question that I ask everyone on the show, and and based on our conversation, I'm very curious to hear your hmm. your answer to this. Um, what does it mean to you to make it in the new music business? Whew. I think in a lot of ways, I've already made it. Hmm. And in some ways, I'm never going to make it. And I think <laughs> that we're... Where I feel like I am now is this place of, I have options. And I think that that through, through all of my self-exploration, I've really come to terms with that is the thing that I value most in my life is, is my freedom, uh, my freedom to make choices that I want to make, um, autonomy and independence in those choices, and then options and the ability and flexibility to pivot when I need to pivot. And so mm. in that sense, like I've completely made it. And then kind of going back to our earlier point is I'm never really going to feel satisfied uh, with where I'm at. And that's mm. where the drive and ambition comes from. And so I'm never really going to hit that um, imaginary and elusive target that I've kind of cast out into the universe. And I'm okay with that. Mm. Um you know, and so I think it's toggling between shooting for that target and also being really grounded and um, accepting where I'm at now. Awesome. Verite, thank you so much. Again, congratulations on your new single. And I'm sure we will talk again very soon. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features, annual fee, unlimited uploads, and you keep 100% of your royalties. Check out districtkid.com.